Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Angle on Producers. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, I am so grateful you are here tuning in week-ish after week doing this life thing with me. It does not happen without you, y'all. I mean, this is a labor of love. This is something I do on my very limited downtime. In fact, I am currently in Atlanta, where I'll be living for the next few months, shooting a movie. Very excited. But, you know, it limits my ability to be consistent with the show, which is a struggle. But hey, here we are making the best of it, right? I am grateful to you for tuning in, for doing this life thing with me, for being a part of the journey, for sharing your journey with me. A lot of you have been hitting me up on social media, sharing a little bit about what you're going through, some of the career struggles you're having. And I feel very humbled to be able to shine any light on any of that because, you know, I'm still trying to find my way too. That's all we can do is just lean on each other and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And hey, if this is your first time tuning in, please head on over to Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Leave a five-star rating, write a review, tell a friend, tag a friend, help spread the word. So this week, we're leaping across the pond and chatting with Kirstie Bell, the sensational human, producer, artist, director, and CEO of Goldfinch Entertainment, a production and finance house based in the UK. The genius of Kirstie lies not only within her mental acuity and her wit, but in her perspective, her openness, and her enduring excitement towards the film industry, particularly independent film. There's really no rhyme or reason to this business. It's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure. But Kirstie credits the art of taking chances, cultivating relationships, and staying the course as important ways to forge ahead. She is a delight of a human, and it is a treat to share this conversation with you guys. You'll learn a lot about financing, super important stuffs. I hope you enjoy, and let's hear from Christy. I am so delighted to have you on the show. I, you know, I've been speaking a lot on the show with people who obviously are here in the U.S. primarily and and kind of understand our world here, but I'm, I'm particularly interested in talking to you because obviously you are from and work in the UK, but you also have a sort of global understanding of our industry um, and you just have a fascinating journey. And so I, I'm grateful to you for saying yes to my unsolicited email <laughs> to come on the show. Um, and I want to point out before we get started, you know, the name of your company is Goldfinch and you have a very beautiful Goldfinch behind you for those watching, uh, not listening, that you drew because you're also an artist. Yeah, um, I, I drew him last March, just after we started lockdown. I hadn't drawn for over 30 years. Um, art was my first love. And I suppose with growing Goldfinch over the last sort of six years, I've never really had a chance to stop and do other things, a lot of other things. And um, so when lockdown happened, I thought, I'm going to start to draw again. And that was the first thing I drew. So I've drawn about, I would say, 50 birds since then. (laughs) Even drew a set of Christmas cards, which we sold. For Christmas, oh, which is <laughs> that's a lovely. But why? So yeah. why a goldfinch? Where where does that come up for you? Right. Well, um, when I decided on a name for goldfinch, I actually wanted to call it something else. And the um, 
it didn't really resonate with people when I was talking about it at the time. And at that point in time, I was still a partner in a firm of accountants um, in London. And uh, we used to be the accountants for Bond. So gold comes from Goldfinger, man with a golden gun, golden eye. And Finch comes from Finchley Road, which is where we had the offices. And then I looked up what a Goldfinch meant. And he's a symbol um, for perseverance, uh, for prosperity and for integrity. And I thought, well, he's quite a good bird. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I didn't know that about him. Also, um, a a collective noun for goldfinches is they're called a charm. And I thought that was a lovely thing as well. And then when I looked into the art references, I found out that he was referenced in medieval paintings. He used to sit on the elbow or the shoulder of Christ the baby. And he used to represent um, good. And black flies used to be in the paintings and they represented evil. And the goldfinch protected the baby, Jesus, from the, the evil so he was known in medieval times as a savior bird and I just thought I'm not going to save the independent film industry at all I don't have anything grandiose like that in mind but if I could help <laughs> if I could help in any way shape or form then that might be something that people might want to listen to and reference themselves so it was goldfinch because of initial references and then when I found out more about him I liked him more and more and more that's amazing uh, it's it's serendipitous even that you just put these two words together and then when you looked deeper into it under the hood it's like wow the deeper meanings and the metaphors and the symbolism throughout history uh, that's incredible but I you know I, I, I find that these kinds of things find you and they're meant for you and that's just how you came to it it could have happened in any other way you could have stumbled upon the word you know, however yeah. other way. So um, yeah, it makes total sense. And knowing the little bit I know about you, that just makes it even that much more special. So since we're on Goldfinch already, and we kind of skipped around, which it is what it is. That's I like how the conversations unfold naturally on the show. Before we jump into your journey in the beginning and how you found producing and this wild business of ours, talk a little bit about Goldfinch and what you guys do, because obviously it'll be a bulk of our conversation and understanding the financial component of things, which I know a lot of artists yeah. and filmmakers struggle to understand. And it's that big mystery of how how do you get funds for your project? projects how do you structure you know the, the projects in such a way especially when you're starting out so uh, it's like 18 questions in one but <laughs> so fine so yeah so just tell <laughs> us a little bit about goldfinch and and what you guys do and and yes all the things well i think i think what I should concentrate on is what we do now because a yeah. lot of people um get mixed up with our history of where we came from and what we do now now we are basically three pillars so we've got finance we've got production and we've got distribution so we we've got lots of things in between but they're the main the three main pillars that we that we um mm-hmm. have so under the finance bit we um do debt finance primarily so it's cash flowing against contracts against minimum guarantees pre-sales um a little bit of gap um, not equity. People always think we must do equity from where we started from. We don't. We will. We do do 
equity on our own productions Mm. Um, and we also invest our services with people as well so instead of charging you know uh, fees for this or that or the other we would invest our services into a production because that can save quite a lot lot of money we can also bring uh, post-production deals in um, especially in the UK uh, we can also get studio space a lot more che- cheaply. Uh, we we can package things up in in that respect. Um, on the production side, we do uh, documentaries and we do in-house productions, um, and we also are linking production with the with the with the first pillar of finance we are the exclusive financiers for an independent film studio in in the uk as well exclusively um which is a very nice relationship to have we get heavily involved in the productions themselves we also do executive producer work for external people and then the third pillar on the distribution side is very much um born out of all the relationships that we have we've got um, a UK distribution uh, label called bird box distribution again the birds and um, <laughs> which is which is really for our own productions and uh, is growing nicely and mm-hmm. organically and we've also launched in uh, locked first lockdown in the UK last year we launched our streaming platform which is our own intellectual property which is called beerbox.film and that is a curated streaming service just in the UK at the moment with global ambitions mm-hmm. so that's goldfinch as it is now um and we do a lot of consulting work with people you know we we um have a very rigorous submissions process we have um we deal with TV, we deal with film, documentaries, um, we deal with games as well, which a lot of people don't realise oh, that we help a lot of games companies. Um, and we um, basically anything that's media related, we will we will look into to try and help either by our knowledge or our connections or financing really yeah. that's where we're at so if you are financing something that under the goldfinch umbrella is that automatically mean then that production is also done it's like the three tiers you'll finance the thing you'll produce the thing in-house and distribute the thing all within or not always so it's a bit like um if i had a pile of pile of things that we did in front of me a bit like Jenga but it's not going to fall down right so you've got all of these different choices in front of you you can have all of that if that suits your project Mm. and suits us as well or we could just take one of those bricks off or we could take six of those bricks off or we could actually just not do business together at all if we find out it just doesn't work um and what I always say is there's always something we can do to help so the finance might not fit, but we might know a man who can. So we might just broker a deal elsewhere. We we did that on a film um, about six years ago um, where we managed, we just knew that it was too early in our, our um, existence of Goldfinch to fund a $10 million movie. So, but we knew somebody who would love it and we knew a sales agent who would love it as well. Mm-hmm. So we put the producer in touch with that financier and the sales agent, and hey, presto, film was made. 
Yeah. And it's really just funny like because that. that was a first, so easy. That's just literally, how everything I, I am <laughs> telling you not. We were sat in Cannes that year and Goldfinch had launched in the January. And we were sat in Cannes with our friends who are digital ag- aggregators in the UK. And I said, oh, I've got to meet this producer guy and he's got the most brilliant IP and I know exactly where to place it, blah, blah, blah. But I might need your help getting me with the right sales agent to the digital aggregator. So we sat there. The producer came in and he'd been waiting for us for an hour in the sun and he was was like strawberry blonde, Mm. like redhead. Oh, boy. Bright red. (laughs) sweating bless him never been to Cannes before never oh. produced a film before and we said you need to go and speak to such and such and when you finish with them you need to go and speak to this guy because they'll want you to be in with him as well hour and a half later had his film financed I mean said, hey, this can is really good Right. But I, and I think that's obviously incredible and an anomaly in the unicorn yeah. and the stories that get repeated time and time again. But I know a lot of people listening will go, I've been to Canon. That was not my experience. Or I've uh, never just, been, you know, been fortunate enough to just stumble upon the right place, right time kind of situation. So he had the best IP going. It was a book that was known all around the world. So everybody wanted it, right? He was just... It was it was yeah. the easiest project you, you could have given me. And I, I hadn't met him in Cannes. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was looking after him before and I'd encouraged him to come to Cannes. And he, he didn't even know if he had the money to come to Cannes. Oh and gosh. it was just like, you need to get there because this needs to be taken up by somebody and just... yeah grabbed a hold of and taken forward and that was his first film made which was brilliant well and so okay but this if we back up to people that are maybe sort of more in the beginning of their journey with shorts and their first time feature maybe they're writer directors they're you know indie producers that are just trying to find their way how because to me that he sounds like an outlier. I don't know his journey, but oh, totally, right? total so outlier. How, yeah. how does um, the, for the people listening that are sort of more in that beginning? Because you guys also do offer financing for shorts, and and you particularly have assisted over ten first time film directors, and it seems like you have this ethos of really supporting first, you know, new artists, and also. Um, independent artists more specifically like it, it seems like you run the gamut of everything a great idea is a great idea great ip is a great ip but but it seems like you skew towards independent and you have a soft spot for that and we so, we are t- so the original yeah. um goldfinch company was uh, was a, is a company called goldfinch pictures that was set up to um i thought i was only going to be in london for a year to two years that's what i told my husband um and it's now seven <laughs> and um and uh it was to prove a point i'd yeah. i'd three years before i'd started to make a, a film where i wasn't supposed to be the producer and i ended up being the producer because he didn't want to be involved in the film i'd raised all the money all he had to do was produce the film mm. i'd never produced before i'd never known that i wanted to be a producer or anything i thought i was an ep that's what I thought mm. I was. So I got left in the northeast of England with a director who I was very good friends with, um, doing night shoots in January in the freezing cold. And wow. it was like, 
I looked in the dictionary for what how, what is a producer it said to produce no use whatsoever no. and it was like like how many books can I read in like two days and all the rest of it and so I decided I just had to go in with both feet and my head and my arms and everything else all of this money was on the line and my friend who was the director was on the line as well and I mean he was a first-time director mm. and He'd done a short, though, and uh, a very good short. And it was like, he's got nobody else to rely on apart from me, so we're just going to have to get through it. And it was horrible. Um, I think I had possibly, not the worst experience, because I've heard some terrible stories, yeah. but I did not have a, I did not have a good ride through this at all. I, <laughs> I, my lack of knowledge was was so visible it was like holes in my shirt you know it was like yeah. like this woman is inexperienced and we all know she's inexperienced yeah and I felt sad about the whole thing but when I came out of that I thought that is probably the best baptism of fire that I have had because now I know what can go wrong will go wrong yeah and I think the one lesson that I would teach any new producer somebody who says they want to be a producer is do you actually know what goes on and that the, the process because it is a bit of a thankless task yes especially in independent filmmaking yes it is <laughs> and it will it will take your soul it will rinse it and it'll give you it back in a different form right. and 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 that and if you it's got to be something that you really really want to do and you can be hard enough to manage your way through all of the different machinations of of being a producer because on one set it'll be this way on another set it'll be this way right. different directors different crews all the rest of it you have to be a bit of a chameleon to be honest with you and and so when I set up Goldfinch I wanted to show to investors initially that you could put your money into independent films in the UK originally it was only the UK originally and you could actually get your money back and maybe you would get some profit because it was well known and has been for, for a long time, that the only way to um, uh, to lose your fortune quickly is to back independent <laughs> film. And I wanted to show how you could do it in a structured way so you would be fine yeah. and you might get something else. And very quickly, I was veering, as you were just saying, Carolina, to the projects where there was a young, inexperienced team or somebody's first script um or uh or a project that was only going to cost like less than two hundred thousand pounds and was such a beautiful subject matter mm. that we knew we could get a sale to sky or we knew we could get whatever and we knew we could get awards and it was like all of these people are coming at me and I was seeing every day of my uh, in my diary was completely full of appointments and it was like speed dating gone mad and it was like how do I pick out of all of these things the ones that I'm going to back and I backed it off the maths um looking into the distribution strategies and investing in the people that were sat in front of me and um, and I have worked with a lot of them again and again and again and again. But we are very proud of the fact we've given first-time directors their first flight. So we 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 started our first flights program as yeah. a direct result of that. And um, 
it concentrates, we have a short film fund. The new one is uh, launching on Monday next week, and that is more international. What um, date is that? Just because this will probably the come fifth, out. The 5th of, of April. April. And when does it go till? Good question. Um, <laughs> well, usually is it a couple of months? Because I, I, I yeah, want to make sure that I... eight weeks. Okay, because yeah, then I want to try to, I want to try to bump your episode up then to in my lineup internally to make sure that people listening hear about yeah. this within that yeah. window. So, and we also want to partner up with other other people to do the equivalent of the short film fund for them as well. Mm-hmm. I've we've spoken to several people, and. Apart from that, we sponsor other shorts as well. We, yeah. we, we, the last short film fund we did raised enough money to do one short film and Goldfinch pledged more money to do another two. So we did three. And then there was another film that had missed the short film fund entry that came to us through a different route. Mm. And we decided to do that one as well, which was just been shooting this week. Oh, and... Um, and also, we've got a, a, a short film channel on our on our platform for um, to distribute the short films yeah. that are produced and Which others is Bird as Box well. TV, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, birdbox.film. Birdbox.film. Yes. So yeah, birdbox. Birdbox.film. So, okay. so people will say. But Kirsty, what do you look for in these projects? You're going to get all these submissions and they're, let's assume, all going to be great, right? There's some stuff that isn't quite ready and, and that's fair. Some people just aren't at that stage yet. But assuming all things equal, how do you then make those decisions? Because, you know, we hear the stories of projects that submit to every lab, to every fund, to everything and don't make it through the cut. And then they go on to somehow become Moonlight or the, you know, the farewell, these incredible films that obviously blow everyone away. And you go, what, why, how did, like, what, you know, what is, how, what happened in that beginning stage that they couldn't get their first sort of sea legs, their first flight, so to speak. So I get that question a lot. You know, how do you f- figure out your own taste and your own voice as an artist? Like, how do you get, how do you stand apart in a sea of so many other options that considering all things equal, like I said? Um, and I get asked that question so much for myself. And I know for me, it's it's very instinctual. It's all of these things, but I'm not financing. So there comes a different, it's a different responsibility, right? When you're also putting money into someone and you have your own brand to not protect but uphold right to make sure that you are constantly as goldfinch making sure that you're amplifying and giving an opportunity to these filmmakers that will take flight and hopefully not you know crash into a tree and then not make it past that (laughs) first of all it we do script coverage report doesn't you know so we, we we one of us will read the you know, we get handed out at this every Monday submissions day. So mm. we go through the list and see what we're going to look at and who's going to have a look at it. So the first step is reading the script if there is one um, and looking at that c- coverage report as a result. So we, we, if we like the script, one of, one of us reads it and likes it, it goes off and gets a script coverage report outside of Goldfinch to get an independent view. Mm. We then look at what our involvement could be. How could we structure this? That's on something that's virgin, that has nothing attached to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. It hasn't got a cast attached, yeah. may not even have a director attached, or maybe the person who wrote it wants to be the director. So the, one of the reasons we set up First Flights was to encourage 
first-time directors to prove concept with a short. Before we had that, um, it depended on the other elements that were attached to it, were cast attached to it in any mm. way. Um, I used to go and speak to friendly sales agents. I used to go and speak to distributors. I used to go and speak to other financiers. I get intel from everywhere. And that's how I used to make my decisions initially when it was really just me. And then Philip and I was my COO. And then team built around Sarah and John. And now we've got Tom and Nick and everybody, you know, just getting the team bigger. And the, the, the simple fact is that um, something like Moonlight, for instance, we probably would have passed on it. Mm. If to be in all honesty, yeah, no, because we would have looked at it and thought, don't know any of the actors, don't know any of this, don't know any of that. It's equity that you need to be put in here. It's all it's all risk and sweat equity going in here. Yeah. Are we at a stage in our business where we could afford to do that? Probably not. Right. You know, we, we piece it together and and look at how we can get it over those hurdles and hopefully work as a team with the people that we are involved in. Yeah. I think to your point, there's something about having other, whether it's entities or people or institutions that are respected for their opinion, sort of anoint you in a way, right? Which is why like a script that maybe gets into one of the labs in, in any of the, the film festivals will be a notch above a script that didn't just automatically, if both things come across your desk, you're probably going to want to start with the script that got into the lab because you know that the people, you know, you know the requirements to get in and, and how competitive it is. And so you go, wow, okay, they must. Similar with the blacklist, right? But there are many things like I remember when I was starting out and I would be reading anything and everything. And I obviously had not a lot of access to great stuff because I was just finding it wherever. And, you know, there is that question that I know I had like, oh man, is this really good? Or is that, do I really know what good is? Do I really have that instinct as a producer to actually just find material and develop it and to put all of that sweat equity in the beginning that is required to push these little boulders uphill? And I had an experience with one of my projects where, I thought it was good, but I definitely had doubts. And I was like, well, what if it, what if it isn't? You know, I think this is good. And I got someone at Bad Robot read it and they wanted to develop that short into a television series. And it never ended up happening, but it it was, it's sad, but that's how it works, right? Our industry, it was really the boost I needed to validate my own taste as a producer, right? To go, That's oh, very important. If, yeah. if, if I see potential in this and clearly this massive institution production company sees value in this and potential in this, my, my instincts are correct. And it, it helps me now sharpen that as I'm looking for new material. But I was lucky enough to have that early on at some point in my career. And I find <laughs> sometimes that people, when they don't get that like sort of in input from others who kind of have been through it, they can sometimes get a little bit lost in a sea of different things and not know where to put their focus. I think you said something very important there, Carolina, and I think it's terrifying going into a profession with people who you believe know everything there is to know <laughs> yeah. and all the rest of it. Yeah. I was terrified. Nobody knew me. Nobody yeah. knew me. And your gut instinct is one of the most important yeah. um, litmus tests that you have. If you like it, if you really like it, 
or trust in it or think it's worthy, then that is a massive, that's a massive tick in the box. Yeah. 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 Um, However, you then need to validate that by going back to basics, facts. Do I get on with other people that are, is it my project or am I doing a co-projection? Am I being brought in as a Mm. producer? Do I get on with the team? Is there a team there? Am I going to have to do all the heavy lifting or do they have an EP attached to it? You know, are there other people I can rely on? Do they have a do they have distribution knowledge? No, they've just started out. Right. How can I bring my knowledge in here and how can I help shape it? Mm -hmm. Am I prepared to give a year of my life to this? Right. Or longer. Or more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've got one project I've been carrying around for nearly 40 years. You know, it's like (laughs) I got told it and um, it's. It's it's not I, I don't think this industry is for the faint hearted, but all I can say, say it's <laughs> yeah. not for the faint hearted. But all I can say is that Goldfinch didn't exist before I founded it. It is a very young company still. And we've made a lot of films and we're very proud of, of the people we've helped and the yeah. teams that we've helped create. So we must have been doing something OK. We must have been getting it right in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Bear in mind, I don't come from money. We didn't have money to start the business. We had to start it like like you had to. You you've got to start from nothing. Having a bit of humility helps. Yeah. I think people expect producers to have egos. They expect directors to have egos, and that's why they say producers and directors don't get on because it's two competing egos. If you've got humility. And have ability to listen and try and navigate your way through what people are saying into what can factually be done at any point in time. Mm -hmm. That is probably a very good thing. We've turned away so many projects over the years, projects that I would have really loved to have done. But not one of them has ended up being the moonlight. Hmm. So, you know, it's like, and we've made our investors our initial investors and the way that we used to do things, you know, good money. And we, 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 we still are involved on a, on a, a serious number of, of projects, but we always say our doors are always open for submissions because if we didn't have submissions, we wouldn't have the pipeline to push it all through. Right. But we, but we also tell producers why we don't do things as well. Yeah. It's not just, Oh, it's a no. Bye. From right. a which is great and, and, the, and a no with information is is such a gift because it helps you yeah. understand once you get past your, your your little heartbreak which comes with everything right you, you want everything to be a yes but that yes is going to take a while to come potentially it helps you really just really refine and sharpen your own toolbox I, your own to, your kit you know your tools in your toolbox rather um to get a little better every time but i, I get frustrated when there yeah. is just a no, thank you, because sometimes it's a lot of energy just to even get that project to that person or that submission. But that's right. And, and like, I've been I've been there. Yeah. With, with very first film I ever did, having no, 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 no reason why no, just no come back when you've got really good cast attached to it. Right. Like, really? Is, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Any sales agent. Yeah. yeah, get the right cast attached. It's, it, what, does that even, <laughs> what does that even mean? Because the thing I, I think is so crazy is 
putting a value on certain humans. Like, of course, we have our big A-list or movie stars, faces that are recognizable in the world. But but I always think it's so silly because it takes so long to make, particularly feature films, right? Sometimes by the time you make the thing, a person that was an unknown when you cast them is now the biggest thing in the world. And you could not have predicted that, you know, and vice versa. Someone who's huge today in three years could be irrelevant. So you're making these financial decisions. You're, you're assessing risk based literally on, on a, a crystal ball that no one has. So if it's going to be risk, you know, high risk anyway, why not then just actually take that risk, like you said, with the projects that are correct, with the people that have the right energy for it, because so much of the project success, it's like start, it's like a, everything is like a mini startup, I find. And you're really investing in the people and in the team oftentimes more than the thing itself. And you're just saying, all right, well, I just hope you can execute because the idea is great. We all love the idea, but it's the execution that really makes her makes her break, you know, anything. And, and, and the problem with being told film. that is yeah. how, how the hell are you going to execute it? You know, it's like, I need right. some money. I need some collateral. I need something. Right. And right. otherwise I'm not going to be able to execute it. Right. And that's where, you know, um, I have to say, you know, if 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 you're a producer that has no financial wherewithal about them, you're going to find it hard. Yeah. Unless you partner up with somebody who 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 does. I mean, knowing your way around a budget is one thing. Right. Knowing your way around a finance plan is a completely different kettle of fish. You know. Here's where the, I get upset with the 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 little slogan everybody likes to throw around of faking it till you make it. Right. Like it is. That word, first of all, personally makes me upset because I don't like the word fake. I don't think anything we do is fake. Yes, we are storytellers. We are creating worlds, but it has to come from a place of honesty and authenticity. So the word fake just like really turns me off. But it's not about lying, right? It's about humility, like you said, to say, hmm, here's the things I don't know but I'm going to go find out or I'm going to go align myself with the person who can give me this knowledge or who can unlock this part of the process that I don't understand. Because to your point, it is a business that tries to project an image like everybody knows everything, but behind the curtains, we know nobody knows anything. And you only learn the thing by being curious enough to ask about the thing and then go find the people who are really good at the thing, who figured out how to do the thing and also have that humility to go, come on, sit, sit with me. Let me show you how it's done. It's like, can we just create a more compassionate, inclusive industry? Can we just give anyone who's coming and wanting to do this, which is hard work, but if you get in, it's a privilege, it's an honor to get to do this. And can we just give them the tools to actually give them a chance to succeed, to actually give them their first flight and their wings that are um, actually going to help them, you know? And That's exactly what we believe in, because that makes the job easier to get Mm -hmm. done. You're not you're not standing there like a lone wolf you know you've got a support group you've got your pack around you and and that to me has been one of the blessings that I feel that that we've managed to have we we call it our little goldfinch family it's about communication isn't it yeah it's about but I actually think that a lot of people who want to be producers would maybe want a different role in film making if they actually knew Understood. the journey a producer <laughs> yeah. goes on. Yeah. Because I, I, as I said earlier, it's not for the faint-hearted. But I, yeah. also, it's not yeah. very... Um, glamorous? It's, it's not glamorous. 
at all. Um, and it's, the producer is the only person who goes from the very start to the very end. Everybody right. gets to do the fun bit of the filming in the middle. Nobody's mm-hmm. there with them for the post-production. Right. It's quite a lonely life, isn't it? It is. It so is. having and a support network is really I mean, super important. literally why I started this show, because, you know, every producer is like a, a lone wolf in their journey, right? And sometimes that's just the way it is because of that project. But just because you're alone in your process doesn't mean there isn't community, doesn't mean you are alone in the struggles and the challenges and having people you can call up. I am on a mission to eradicate this idea that to do this and to be good at this, it has to come at the expense of our own self, especially as women and of our soul and of other parts of our lives. Like if one wants to be a mother and have a family or foster 15 dogs, whatever it is that family means to them. And so, yeah, I'm just, I I hope that the show can become a, a, a continuation of this conversation among anyone who's listening and especially people coming in who are young and have that energy that I frankly don't have anymore to continue fighting these battles on behalf of all independent, you know, film producers and filmmakers, frankly, that um, I think it's so important and so extremely worthwhile. It's it's so important. It's even more important now. I mean, you know, if you think about it with what's happened in the last year and still happening globally, Right. right. Chances of making an independent film from scratch, unless you you've got money attached to it right. already, are even slimmer than they were before. Because even though there's a cry out for content, it's a certain type of content, right. and that's actually an important thing. You know, listen to what the market's telling you. Not it's a bit like a fashion buyer. You're not mm. you're not you're not you're not creating something for now. You're creating for something in a year's time. Yeah. at least a year's time so you've got to be able to forward look and forward predict and that is getting the industry knowledge what are they looking for what are they looking for for quarter one next year quarter four right if they're looking for that what are they going to be looking for quarter one the following year right and and it is it is a skill and it is very like fashion buying mm. but it's also it's also knowing that things evolve and move on and genres always come back round, always come back always, round. Yeah. But but dr- like, for instance, all of the, the streamers want comedies. They want romantic comedies because they want people to feel happy yeah. and upbeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you can get one of those out of the traps, it's a good sh- script or the rest of it. People are going to listen to you more. Right. If you came to them, I even heard um, from... Uh, EFM that sci-fi was coming back it had gone died a death in 2018 because <laughs> everybody was setting up VFX houses and doing yeah. doing sci-fi and now that we had one that's been stuck in post for ages yeah and um we now can get it finished because people want it now they didn't want it when <laughs> it was the third one we did in a series right. and now they want it and um, so you can see that that sort of trends come around. But I think I think I didn't become a producer until I was in my mid 40s, early 40s. And I didn't set up Goldfinch until I was in my mid 40s. Yeah. So so th- there's hope for us all, isn't there, Carolina? Yeah. You know, like, like you know, yeah. I was a 
I was a, I was a partner in a firm of accountants and I had my own business consultancy and it's like mad and it was literally I thought if I don't do this if I don't get this done I tried to raise money for my own film back in 1996 and raised three million of a 3.2 million budget and handed every single bit of money back to the investors because I thought I hadn't got to 3.2 therefore I've got to hand it all back nobody advised me oh nobody advised me and I just thought oh well I'll go back to my day job then because I failed and um and 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 you know we can create more support uh groups networking groups you know like you are doing with your brilliant podcast I think if we can do more of that yes and and help each other more I mean how much how much time is it you need to give half an hour here half an hour if somebody's right. phoning you up every single day well, for an hour, there's a problem, right? there's a problem. <laughs> yes that's right it, it is a fine line and I had a great conversation with Rowena actually on a different episode which will come out hopefully soon about that very thing how do you teach someone that tact of how do you teach someone the confidence to cold call someone like you said in, in a business where there's this perception that everyone on the inside just knows everything and you're nothing if you don't come with like a fa- fancy last name or deep pockets to have the confidence to just and the tact to know the finesse of how to call or cold email and ask for help and ask for support and it is it is a learned skill it is not something that most of us come out the gate doing like we shared you know we both had this fear and this anxiety and that reality that no matter how far you climb there's always a person or or a company that makes you still feel that way like a little kid where you're like oh my gosh I have to call this person and I like you have to kind of like hone it all in but it's 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 teaching people that and and that's definitely one of the things I want to do I mean my goal is maybe sometime in my career is to form some type of school where we can teach these skills that it's really psychology is what it is it's practicalities it's how do I get this this bloody thing made it's like it's it's almost like a mountain isn't it it's a mountain it's facing you you are stood there yes at the bottom of it and you can't see you can't see any summit at all it's so big it's impossible and it actually is impossible so what you've got to do you've got to treat it like you're eating an elephant Mm. you've got to cut it up into tiny chunks and eat it bit by bit and and I've always said from day one of Goldfinch said that um, getting an independent film made has a just each one has its own gestation period. Right. Yeah. Some will be a month. Some will be years. Some will they'll never happen. They're never going to be born. But each one has its own path to take. It's and a bit it- like last summer. I'm sorry, not last summer, last March when I had the idea for my film, but I didn't know it was an idea for a film. Mm. I just was sitting on the Zooms. I I told you I was driving home. We'd wrapped on set at half seven on the night that lockdown in the UK was announced by Boris Johnson. There was actresses and actors going to all different parts of the world. And as I was driving home, I thought, God, my husband's in, in Australia. I'm going back to an empty house apart from the dog. Like, this is a reality like I've never experienced this before so I jumped in with the zooms thing I was like I was like looked like I was on steroids every morning with the rest of the team was like hi how are you all 
today. Like, you know. Yeah. Oh, yes. I might as well have worn a clown nose or something. It was just just ridiculous. And I was watching everybody and I was thinking, I don't know their personal circumstances. I don't need to know their personal circumstances. But I was wondering if they were going through stuff. So I started creating characters. And anyway, long story short, I showed it to the producer we deal with. And he said, that's a film. And that is literally how that started from, yeah. from day one to the day we started filming. But I think the the biggest piece of advice, I wish there'd been a first flights around when I did my first mm-hmm. film, because I wouldn't have made the film. I would have made a short. Right. And I would have proven, it's almost like a business card, isn't it? This is what it's going to look like. It's going to be bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. yeah? So... Okay, so so you've been effectively now calling yourself a producer for what ten years, fifteen years. Um, I produced my first film, which I think the date on it is actually two thousand and twelve, but I started the yeah. job in two thousand and ten. Yeah, and then and then I set up Goldfinch in two thousand and fourteen, January two, January the twenty second, two thousand and fourteen. Okay, but I so- was working on it before I, I launched. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, I always like to ask the question of how in this world that is full of ups and downs and the undulations are so crazy sometimes, how you personally navigate the ups and downs that comes with it. But I'm wondering if when you were pre your producing hat wearing days, though, I'd venture to say you were always a producer at heart. You just didn't have the language for it, perhaps. You know, I don't know what your life was like when you were working with the accounting firm, but, you know, now that, but but looking just at these years that you mentioned as a producer, it comes with so much challenge. It comes with so much heartbreak sometimes. And so how have you navigated that for yourself? How do you fill your well back up when you're sort of feeling depleted by, by all of, all of the factors that are outside our control and keep coming back to Very good word. I think that's a really good word to use, depleted, because yeah. it is exactly, it's almost like something's been sucked out right. of you completely. You're exhausted with it. It's right. like relentless. You well, know? and it's, it's an ex- uh, a consistent output of energy, right? What we do as producers, and a lot of people don't realize that. That's fine. Like you said, it's a thankless job. We're not looking for that recognition. But as a producer, I know this, and I know what what it what happens to me when I'm depleted and the work I have to do to fill myself back up so I can show up as the best version of me to others. And so, you know, I think it's one important to recognize, two important for people listening to know that this is a reality. We are ju- we are humans as well with needs and desires, not just producers who show up on set. So, when you've gone through that, yeah, what is the thing that kind of fills you back up? Um we're dealing with people every single day people's hopes and dreams yeah you know whether that be the director whether it be the line producer whether it be the runner who's just starting out or whether it be the production accountant that nobody even realizes the production accountant until it comes to pedames or something like that yeah and and so we're dealing it's almost like we're in charge of this massive company my example is the matrix. I feel it's like you're plugged yeah. in and you're in that reality where everything is that high stake and it's all, everything is functioning up here 
all the time and it is exhausting because no one can fire at all cylinders like that all the time. And so you have to unplug and go look around and go, oh, there's birds and like there's life happening around me, you know? Yeah. And it's that is so important is to take Mm -hmm. yourself away from that because that's why a lot of producers get burnout, especially in LA. Yeah. Um, And London to a lesser degree, but it still happens. Yeah. Um, But also is that if this is truly what you want to do for a living, you need to to buckle down because this is going to be a journey that's never going to change. You know, yeah. we deal with a producer who's been producing for 35 years. It's still up and down. It's still around there. You know, you know, I get a phone call from him. He's filming at the moment in the Caribbean. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, shut up. You're in the Caribbean getting a tan. And he goes, <laughs> oh, yes, so I am. <laughs> it's like that, that was his dose of reality yeah, you know yeah yes, and and, yes, yes, and yes. I think having a support network is important both within the industry and out with the industry and I think that is I failed to have it you know I, I can remember for the first three years of Goldfinch I didn't really contact the people who meant the most to me mm. and that was actually quite a, a rude awakening one of my friends says you realize you've never returned my text for three weeks but you're constantly on your phone or on emails and you didn't right. even answer right. my text. Right, 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 yeah. You do what I mean? Yeah. And it's like you block. It's what just, I said about the f- yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's I mean, I, I talk about that a lot. It's like you you go into this vortex and that nothing that anything that is not 100% related to whatever is happening in the moment is kind of out of sight, out of mind. And it's uh, not it's not advisable but sometimes especially when you are in production like it does require that sense of focus because to your point you are responsible for hundreds of people and and lots of money oftentimes, you, you cannot you know? have any relief when no. you are in production no I mean you're like I said you're playing like you have to have you've got to have this eyes in the back of your head that's right is front ways back ways everywhere the whole thing like antennas all yeah. of it you're just yeah. kind of yeah. yeah I mean and that's the thing I say like even on weekends you can't really unwind you can't go hike for th- three hours in the mountains without reception because if shit implodes and you lose a location like your hourly employees aren't they don't care they're not gonna I mean maybe potentially if they have really strong relationships but it's on you to figure that stuff out and so Oftentimes, we had that on my film. Our location changed Our, yeah. uh, because of the pandemic. The the council, we have councils here that issue a permit. You know, you do it in New York State or whatever, but they're called councils. Mm. And the lady was on. Lady wasn't at work. She was on furlough. They'd furloughed us. The pandemic, mm. so we never got our permit. So we couldn't go to our location on the Monday. This is the Friday. Oh my god! We phoned up somebody we knew. She said, oh, yeah, my cousin's got one of those up in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so so me, producer, Gaffer, the DOP, all got into a car and drove 25 miles out of London Just to, get it. to see this little lady who happened to have exactly what we needed. And she went, <laughs> oh, I'm not so sure about having a film crew here and this, that and the other. By six o'clock, we gave her a bottle of gin and <laughs> deal was signed. And it was like... It was such an adventure. We were yeah. so worried because yeah, the whole yeah. that was the first day of the shoot on the Monday. But yeah. we were so excited that we'd found a solution. That's the other thing. That's the other lesson. If you are not a solution finder, you will never make a good producer. Yes. It is solutions, 
never problems. There's right. never a problem on the set. There's a solution as a result that's of right. finding right. something that's not going quite right. It's 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 a solution-oriented person who thrives in chaos and thrives in finding those solutions in real time. <laughs> and can, and can. With a smile behave. on their face. Yeah, under pressure. <laughs> under pressure. And can also, yeah, under pressure. Ideally with function. a great fringe as well. Uh, yeah, you know. type A personality <laughs> completely. Yeah. Um, completely like that, who can can stand in front of any director anywhere in the world of any status and go, no, you're not having that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't need a helicopter. You don't need a helicopter. Yes, yes. I do. Uh, my whole career depends on this helicopter. No, you can have a crane, though. Right. That's what I'm going to let you have. You yes. can have a crane. Or perhaps a drone. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, nowadays, it'd be a drone, wouldn't it? A drone. And then yeah. if they go, no, go, well, you're not even going to have that then. <laughs> it's, it is like being a mother to to a child. I mean, everybody wants the toys, and that's what you learn. Everybody wants the toys to do their job, and everybody thinks their department is the most expensive, or I'm sorry, the most important that needs all the things. And they are. Every department is important. Everybody's a part of the machine. But we are looking at the whole ecosystem. System. We have a we're macro. We're not in the micro, you know. So we so people have to trust that, you know. And that's the part that too that comes with it is is the trust because some people do work yeah. with shady producers, right? Who who don't um, are not looking out after the best interests of the production or of the project. They're looking at their own bottom line and their own whatever. So that's all the other kinds thing of, yeah. that I'm I'm on a mission to sort as well. Yeah, is is the relationship between the production office and the crew. Yeah, it's the, the first the AD department that that relationship needs to be a little bit more joined up. And the key person to all of that isn't just the producer. To me, it's the line producer. Yeah. The line producer is the key to that relationship. And it is such an undervalued role. And the line producer gets a lot of the shit that's going on. Oh, yes. And what <laughs> often happens is a big divide between the production department yeah, and the like West Side story you know it's like all yeah, we to do a musical number it's it really is but there in and, and yeah it becomes like the artists versus the production people and it really isn't like this war yeah it i think it's just a lack of understanding of what actually goes on and and what is actually happening um but i think you're right and, and that is an ethos i tried to bring to my sets when i'm starting out and i'm crewing up because that's the other part it's like you oftentimes are responsible for hiring the very people that can then go look at you and go, you're the enemy. And it's like, how can I be that? And like, I hand selected you. I literally interviewed other people, you know, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, I want to be mindful of time just because I could literally talk to you forever, but we've already <laughs> been yapping for like over an hour. Um, and I have a few more questions for you before we do our lightning round. Um, but I wanted to make sure, is there anything that We've, we've just been, t it's been such a lovely conversation, but if there's anything that you wanted me to make sure I asked you, is there anything? No, I think, I think okay. what you've asked me so far is great, Caroline. I think, you know, I, I think the, the biggest question is why I decided to be a producer in the first why place. Why did you decide to be a producer in the first place? Because I didn't think there was, it's a bit like when I started out in accountancy, I always wanted to be the partner of the firm. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to work for anybody else. I wanted to be and, and this is not in an ego I just I hate being told what to do so it was like I switch off like you know when a dog's yeah. ears go back yeah, it's yeah. like 
it's like, no, I, I need to have my own brain and my own decision making. And with producer role, I found that I could have a team that I didn't have to tell off or tell them what to do because they were all specialists in, in their in their fields. And mm-hmm. I can't be the gaffer. I can't right. be the DOP. Right. I, you know, I, I, I can be the line producer, but I don't want to be. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's like that. And I felt that this the 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 biggest thrill of it was the end product, obviously, seeing something come to light. Yeah. But it was a real thrill was to get all of these people working almost like a dance. They're they're almost dancing around and with each other. And that to get that dance working to the music of the film. Mm. is is perfection yes and it's that's how, we, how we open and that's the opening of my film is the producer character going through the set going to where she's going to stand before the director says an action yeah. and that is what I wanted to show it's a family yeah. and there's dysfunctional families and there's families that work well together yeah but but to me, it's the you know what it's like when a set breaks up and yeah, everybody's crying. You it. Yeah, you absolutely feel it when you create that space where everybody is seen and everybody feels like they matter because they do. Down to your PA, you know, down to your intern, um, and you create a place of love. Really, it's what it is. You're creating an environment where people are supported. Because the thing that I I, I like to remind everybody is. People find their specialties, but people who get into do what we do get into it because they love stories. They love filmmaking to some extent. They watched movies, they were inspired, and they wanted to get in our business. And then they went, oh, I love actually, I love lighting and I love being this particular specialist. But we all are just little kids who loved getting to do this. And oh my God, we now get to do it, right? So to create a space that allows all these creators, all these collaborators to show up and do the best work they can within the parameters and be the best version of themselves and know that the people who are there to keep them safe and healthy are there looking out for them. Like, of course, when that ends, it's like you have to go back out into the real world. And and we talked about the vortex and the matrix, and it doesn't have to be a scary thing. You're not always running away from Mr. Smith. It can be like a really incredible place, almost like like a, you know, you just create a safe, beautiful space for people to create. And when that ends, it's like, oh, and I think you have that's to go back into my, the real world. Yeah. Uh, that's why my vision of, I always wanted to be able to, I think I was born in the wrong era. I'd like to go back and be part of the studio setup, but not mm. when the men ruled the world. Right. And, uh, but to me, the studio setup, which I suppose is what I've tried to create with Gulf, which is like this vertically integrated yeah. studio, is is this there's you get security of tenure, you get you are there, you are employed, you get job after job after job, and therefore everybody becomes more cohesive as a family, and therefore the chances are you're gonna get the films done better because of course. everybody's working better How together. Can it not? How can it not? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I would love to be able to. I mean, yes, we're the financier for the studio in the northeast of England. Like, I would love to replicate that again and again and again and again, because that is actually what I really I want to create. It's almost like a factory, isn't it? In a yeah, nice possible way. For sure. Yeah. But it's a factory that creates dreams and makes them. A dream factory. Yeah. I mean, I think if yeah. there's anyone that can do it, it's you. 
Cause clearly you're <laughs> might need some help. So well, I'm in. available <laughs> and there's a, an army of people coming up under us who are hungry and ready and are probably vibing with everything we're talking about. And I are, you know, going to roll up their sleeves and help so we can create this, this industry that I know exists and is here for us to, to mold into this next, this next chapter of what it wants to be. So, um, Thank you so much. Before we go into the You're lightning welcome. round, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. And well, thank you for asking me and my reaching goodness. out. Oh, my God, of course. It's such an honor to talk to you and, and meet you and get to learn a little bit about your journey and get to share it with the listeners in this time capsule conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay, lightning round is a new thing I've started. Okay. It's just five fun Fire away. to wrap it up. Okay. What's a song that teleports you to a happy place? Chumbawamba. Do you know that one by Chumbawamba? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, it's the... called, what, what's it called again, though? Thumb, thumb uh, stomping, right? Isn't it Chumbawamba, thumb yeah, stomping or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I get I, knocked I, I, down. But I, get uh, I get up again. Okay, very much a <laughs> producer's put, uh, anthem. <laughs> I, I put it on when I go into my running machine in the morning. That's a great song. <laughs> That's a great song. Okay. What's the last piece of art that moved you? It could be a book, a film, a show, etc. Um, you're going to find this a bit of a funny one. I was uh, I was in on my own on Saturday night and uh, uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie was on and it's picking fun at everybody yeah. involved in it. Yeah. And I just thought, I wish I had been part of the crew or the cast or something to do with that film because they just looked like they were having so, so much, much fun. fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fill in the blank, which maybe you've already answered this question, but pretend you haven't. Fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. Running. Okay. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. My son. I love that. I love that. I have to say that. That is so sweet. I love that. I love that. Okay. So the last and final question, um, which uh, if you'll allow me to indulge myself, uh, borrowing from inside the actress studio, which was one of my favorite shows coming up and inspired by the famed French journalist, Bernard Pivot. He always asked the question of his guest: if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What would I like him to say? Yeah. Um, apart from we've been expecting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I think I would like him to say he did his. One of the one of the things that my dad taught me from being very small was never say can't. You can always say you've tried and failed. That's fine, but never say you can't. And maybe what I'd like God to say is, say is you, not you tried and failed, <laughs> but you never said can't. So well done, you've been trying your very best. Because yeah. I think that's all we can all be. Yeah. We, we, we can all just try, as you said, the best versions, which I think is a lovely phrase. I'm going to steal it off you. The best versions of ourselves. Yeah. Because, because then you can look in the mirror and go, that's me. Yeah. 
And that's all you can ask for yourself, isn't it? It's all what parents want for a child, you know? That's all we have. That's all we ultimately have. Um, Well, thank you again. This is such a delight. Like I said, I could talk to you for for hours. I could talk to pretty much anyone I bring on the show for hours because I hand select people. And I I, I think everyone who who is, you know, very um, generous with their time to go on this Zoom journey with me and record and share um, is, is special. And so thank you for... Uh, thank for, you very much everything. again, Carney. I think what you're doing is brilliant. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. You can find the show at angleonproducers.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Beijos.